Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host Aaron aka the Cricket Connoisseur and joining me on my left making his TCCP County Championship Review Show debut is none other than the sceptical cricketer himself Mr Rory Law. So Rory first things first mate obviously a pleasure to get you on for a chat about all things county crickets and items what around we've got ahead of us in this particular episode. I have to ask mate How's your day been so far? Well, um, as a Somerset fan, it was a uh, it was it was pretty touch and go for most of it, and then King Casey Aldridge came back in and made my day a lot more enjoyable. So it was an up and down day, but you know what a day! So can't really argue. Yeah, quality day of cricket, and obviously we'll get onto that Warwickshire versus Somerset game in due course. A thrilling encounter, to say the least, at Edgbaston. I don't think my fingernails and my my pulse has quite recovered to be honest, just yet from that encounter. But again, the county championship, it keeps on delivering. It's a fantastic competition. And the 14th round was absolutely no exception to that rule in this year's competition. So Rory, I say we get started with Division 1 then. And there's only really one place we can start with the Division 1 games this week. And that is up in Leeds, where Essex beat Yorkshire by one wicket in an absolute thriller at Clean Slate Headingley. Now, just to give a little bit of background context before we get into the discussion topics for this particular game, Essex won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in this game. Now, this decision appeared to have paid off quite brilliantly during the opening exchanges as the likes of Sam Cook, Shane Snater, Ben Allison and Jamie Porter scythed through the Yorkshire batting lineup within just 52.2 overs to leave the home side all out for 134 runs by the end of their first innings. Now, in response to this, Essex themselves didn't get off to a very good start. In fact, the visitors found themselves 105 for six within the first 41 overs of the innings as a result of some outstanding bowling from Jordan Thompson, who took four for 60, George Hill, who took three for 22, and Ben Code, who chipped in with a nice two for 34. However, fortunately for the visitors this week, Dan Lawrence and Shane Snater came together quite brilliantly for the seventh wicket, putting on a 75-run partnership to ultimately help propel the visitors up to a total of 225 all-out by the end of their first innings. But Rory, before we get into the second innings of this particular game and we focus on that run chase and the outstanding contribution from Shane Snater up in Leeds this week, I just wanted to take a little bit of a, a deeper dive and analysis into two seam bowlers who performed very well in this particular game. We've already mentioned both of them in that first passage. And two seamers who I think deserve a lot more plaudits and a lot more recognition. And those two seam bowlers are Sam Cook from Essex and Ben Code from Yorkshire. Now, just to give these two some statistical context, as of this recording, Ben Code has played 51 first-class matches. He's taken 203 wickets at an average of 20.27 and has a strike rate of 44.8. Now, by comparison, Sam Cook has played more games. He's played 57 career matches in first-class cricket, but he too has also taken 203 wickets at an average of 19.59 and a strike rate of 45.9. So in terms of these two seam bowlers, Rory, first and foremost, what are your opinions on the likes of Ben Code and Sam Cook? And the wider conversation topic for this week If we're looking long-term for replacements for the likes of Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson, do either of these two or both of them potentially 
reveal themselves as, as future replacements. What are your thoughts in terms of the England futures of Sam Cook and Ben Code? Well, yeah, well, I mean, before I absolutely get into anything too concrete, I love them both. They're both fantastic players and what seasons they've both had, right? I think my issue with them both is probably their speeds. They're a little bit slow, too slow for me. We're coming into Pakistan where the pitches are very, very flat and there's very, very little movement in the air unless you've got that really early stage with the new ball. So I'm not really looking to bring them in at that point. If we've got a kind of a longish test summer, Sam Cook for me is the first person on that list to get a go. He's been superb for years, but I want to give a big shout out to Ben Code because he's playing on Headingley, which has always traditionally been a pitch that's favoured the batter. Whereas I believe Chelmsford in the last three years has been the most bowler friendly pitch in the whole of the county champ. So there's some relevance there. I think they're both great bowlers. Potentially give them a few more years before the England chat, but both definitely in the conversation. Well, they are indeed, Rory, and I would completely echo that sentiment. Both very underrated team bowlers indeed. I know that North Ants fans would want me to mention Ben Sanderson in that conversation as well, and we'll probably touch upon his contributions later in today's podcast. But I just look at Sam Cook and Ben Code, two very potent proponents of swing bowling, in particular the in-swinger that both of those guys possess is brutal. Sam Cook's been utilising it to lethal effects in this year's county championship. And this is the good thing, isn't it, with that particular England test side at the moment. We've got strength in depth in the same department. And if you were to ask me, I think these two would be the next cabs off the rank in that particular department. So, yeah, Sam Cook and Ben Code thought I'd give them a little bit of a mention this week. Thoroughly deserving, very underrated same bowlers and both performed very well in this encounter up at Headingley this week. So getting back to the game itself, let's have a look at the second innings. Now, Yorkshire, unfortunately, didn't have a great time with the bat in hand in the second innings either. Aside from a fighting 53 from Finlay Bean, who again looks very impressive, definitely someone to watch out for, up in the north heading into the future. And a very, very impressive 69 from just 70 balls, courtesy of the man himself. Ben Code scoring 11 fours and a six up in Leeds this week. Other than that, again, it was very much advantage Essex. Jamie Porter taking four for 64. Matt Critchley taking three for 59. And Sam Cook back in the wickets taking two for 45 from 15 overs. Now, as a result of this, Essex needed just 162 runs in order to emerge victorious in this particular showdown. And in fairness, they looked as though... They were going to throw it away, didn't they, Rory? 93 for 7 within the first 32 overs of the innings. Now, before we touch upon a certain Shane Snater, be completely honest with me, Mr Law. Did you think Essex could win that from 93 for 7? Honestly, yes. Um, Snater was batting the top seven in the One Day Cup for a reason. Ben Allison, he got 50 last week, didn't he? So he's definitely he capable yep. of the bat. I've seen Cook and Porter hang around when needed. It almost felt like the opposite of that Somerset game earlier on in the season where they, it was I mean, it was just so close, right? And they just couldn't quite get themselves over the line. This time, Snater was hitting it cleanly. He'd been batting well in the first innings. He took the attack to the bowling attack. And, you know, whenever that kind of man's at the crease, whenever you've got someone doing that, you've always got that volatility that means it could happen. And I always believed, I, I, you know, genuinely was cheering for it to happen because what a story. Well, it was an incredible story. And let's have a look at the chapters of said story because Shane Snater and Ben Allison, from absolutely nowhere, 
turned this game completely on its head, producing an outstanding 63-run partnership for the eighth wicket to take Essex within just six runs of the victory. Now, unfortunately for the nerves of the fans of Essex County Cricket Club, they did take a little bit of a hit towards the end as both Alison and Sam Cook fell in quick succession. And I'll tell you what, Jamie Porter was very close to being dismissed by Stephen Patterson as well. Thought he bowled very, very nicely in that second innings. But fortunately for the Eagles fans, Shane Snater, the man of the moment, scoring 65 that outs from 51 deliveries, crunched a short ball straight to square leg to secure the first victory for Essex County Cricket Club up at Headingley since 1984. A great stat that and an unwanted streak for the East Anglian outfits, but they thoroughly deserved that win, didn't they, Rory? Absolutely. I mean, they. I think they did get lucky with the toss. I think the conditions were definitely worst in the first innings when Yorkshire were out batting. But, I mean, not just Snater, Dan Lawrence as well in the first innings I thought was superb. And that bowling unit's just been brilliant all season and they do absolutely deserve to be up at the top of the leaderboard. They do indeed. And just looking at Shane Snater, and again, this is the other question that I have before we move on from this particular game, but I'm just looking at his stats at the moment, right? And obviously, we see Shane Snater as more of a bowler. He's taken 25 wickets, an average of 30.08. But in this year's county championship, when he's been batting at 8 and 9, the Dutch international has staggeringly scored 455 runs, averaging 28.43. And he's striking at 82.72. Rory, is it time that we don't call Shane Snater a bowler and we start calling him an all-rounder? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because he's obviously batting nine when Simon Harmer likely returns next week. But, you know, I mean, if you've got someone like Matt Critchley out of form, I don't see an issue with having him at seven. I think it's a lovely utility option to have and just deepens Essex's batting, I mean, to an almost ridiculous level, really, given some of the strength that they've got up at the top. I think he genuinely could gain all-round status in the next couple of years. And I wouldn't mind them seeing get more of a go with the Netherlands with the bat as well. Maybe get some ODIs under his belt and... I reckon he's capable of that. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna say all-rounder status, but might not be used as such for the rest of the season. Well, there we go, folks. I think we make it official. Shane Snater, at the very least, bowling all-rounder, if not all-rounder, and another fantastic stat. You know we love our stats here at TCCP. He's hit nine sixes. That's more than any other Essex cricketer in the 2022 County Championship. So, Shane Snater, he deserves his dues, deserves these plaudits, and... That was a fantastic knock. And also Ben Allison as well. You mentioned him just briefly there, Rory. Did score 50 last week. Really dug in this week as well. 12 from 54 deliveries. Yeah, he's, he's finding some, some form heading into these final stages of the season. So that is also another very positive thing for Essex fans to take away from this particular encounter. But just before we move on, actually, Rory, just a little bit on Yorkshire. I know we spoke in depth about Ben Codens. They will be disappointed. Obviously, this is a bitter pill to swallow, losing that, that record. They were unbeaten against Essex on home soil since 1984. But a great game of cricket. Go back to that old adage of it taking two to tango. And they can take some positives away, can't they, from this performance in terms of the way in which they battled back, the way in which the likes of Jordan Thompson, Ben Code, Stephen Patterson, guys like that actually did bowl. And Finlay Bean is an interesting one, isn't he, Rory? What do you make of him as a prospect heading into the future? Well, we've seen so little of him, haven't we? Was it 400 he got in the second lap? Which is obviously 
I mean, the hallmarks of a fantastic player. Struggled in the first innings, but I would say got an excellent delivery from Sam Cook very early on. And to be honest, when you're into your kind of debut games, it's the last thing you want. Even just opening the batting is difficult. But digging in for 53, when you're at a fairly reasonable runs deficit, having just been bowled out for 134, is such a promising sign. I mean, he was batting for nearly three hours. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of kind of hope for the future with this kid. And now kind of Yorkshire are mostly at the stage where, you know, results probably won't be mattering too much for the rest of the season. They'll probably be giving him quite a long run. And I look forward to seeing what he's capable of doing in the last few weeks with Surrey and Gloucestershire coming up. So do I, to be honest, Rory. The, the sky really is the limit with Finley Bean. Or, oh, I'm really tempted to call him Mr Bean. I'm going to try and refrain for the time being before we get into the, the Rowan Atkinson references. I'll make that promise now, Yorkshire fans. I'll keep my lips sealed. We'll give it another few games for Mr Bean references to come out. But he does look really good. Genuinely, he looks technically solid. He looks comfortable at the crease. He looks ice cool up at Headingley this week. And again, he's yet another one from that Yorkshire conveyor belt who just looks a million dollars, doesn't he, at the crease. So Finley Bean, definitely someone to watch out for. But Rory, aside from that game then, Upper Headingley, that thriller between Essex and Yorkshire. Let's go slightly further down south. Let's head the East Midlands, where Northamptonshire and Surrey played out a high-scoring draw at Wantage Road. Now, again, to give some background, some context to this particular game, Surrey won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in this game, which for the most part did actually appear to have paid off quite nicely. They had Northants 94 for three, within the first 30 overs of the innings. But after this promising start, yeah, the title hunt contenders were halted by a quite magnificent 145, courtesy of a certain Emilio Gay. And Rory, before we get on to the rest of the game, we've got to talk about this guy because social media was popping off, in particular Twitter. Lots of people, mostly Northants fans, in fairness, saying that Emilio Gay has got all of the potential to go on and represent England in Test cricket. Having watched him in previous games, having watched this masterful knock on home soil this week and having seen the attributes and the qualities that he possesses at the crease, do you see Emilio Gay potentially one day, not right now, but one day, representing the three lines of England in international Test cricket? I really genuinely do. I mean, I don't know if um, if I've had a chat to you about this, but I've definitely had it with a few others since the start of the season. And I'm, I don't use this term lightly. I have waxed lyrical about Emilio Gay. That's when you know he's good. He really he reminds me of Kumar Sangakara at the crease. He's so, so elegant and so classy. I think he's improving year on year as well. He looked really good back end of last season and he's coming into his own more and more what, what I mean what the last few weeks he's had I genuinely think that he's got the potential to be I mean at the top of that England spot but also I wouldn't mind him as a number three it's interesting isn't it with Emilio Gay because he is quite a free-flowing batter at the crease isn't he and we've had him on the podcast I must say his attitude is fantastic he really does have a hundred percent self-belief and he does want that England spot in the future so we'll have to wait and see but it would be brilliant, wouldn't it, if we could see him again in an England shirt. That'd be a very proud moment for us here at the podcast as well. We could say we spotted him nice and early. But just looking at his stats so far this summer, he is the 11th leading run scorer in Division 1 with 799 runs, two centuries, 450-plus scores, and he's hit 116 boundaries. 
goodness me, that is very, very impressive. And he does give the ball a good old tonk, does a medio gay. So definitely someone to watch out for heading into the future. Someone else as well, who I love giving a mention to here on the Counter Cricket Podcast. In my opinion, very underappreciated player. This guy on the wider county circuit in particular on social media. But Rob Keogh, 123 from 180 balls, 15 boundaries, striking at 68.33. Again, he played quite beautifully on home soil this week, didn't he, Rory? Absolutely. A seasoned season professional. The guy's been around for years and his offspin's quite a useful extra option as well. I've been cheering Rob Keogh all season, partly because he's in my cricket draft team, but partly because I just really like him as a player. He's, I think he's been slightly hard done by in the white ball stuff this year and he's come into his own in the red ball stuff even more. But that first innings knock was superb. Really, really good. And he, he just didn't really look that much like getting out as well. That's the beauty of Rob Keogh. When he's in full flow, he looks like he's really, really hard to stop. So, I mean, Northants, you've got to be keeping on for as long as you possibly can, surely. They do indeed. And Rory, I'm so sorry that I have to deliver this this very cheesy pun. Apologies to the listeners as well. But with those knocks from Emilio Gay and Rob Keogh, I suppose you could say that the home side put the ton back into Northamptonshire at Wanted Road this week. Had to be done. It was there for the taking. A bit like Emilio Gay when he sees a ball outside off stump. Have to dispatch it to the boundary fence for four more. But talking of Northampton's batting then, as a result of those outstanding centuries, the home side did reach a total of 339 all out by the end of their first innings. Surrey seem Akimar Roach as well, taking 5 to 95 over the course of that innings to stem the flow of runs slightly. But in response to this... Surrey got off to a relatively bad start, didn't they, Rory? Finding themselves 80 for four within the first 28 overs of the innings. But from this point onwards, it was one man, wasn't it, in the driving seat, in particular on day two. And I need no excuse to talk about the brilliance, the class, the poise, the panache of the man in question, Hashi Mamla. 133 from 278 balls. Only eight boundaries. This was a masterclass in temperament and patience and application at the crease. How good was this knock and how brilliant is it to see him in county cricket? I mean, he was one of my favourite. Um, he was one of my favourite players growing up. He was always the batter that I wanted to turn out to be. I used to absolutely love him. And, you know, he's not always shown it this year, but it's fantastic to see him scoring runs. And if you were to tell me at the start of this season that someone was going to pull off a knock exactly like that, just show me the scorecard without his name, I'd have told you it was Hashim Amla because you just know that he's just capable of grinding down a bowling attack, particularly when they're struggling, not really going for the boundaries, just taking the singles, rotating the strike. And I think it's a really good kind of effect that you can have on your partner as well. You've got someone kind of rotating at one end, you know that they're going to stick there. And would, say, Cam Steele coming in when he came in, or even Tom Curran further down, have been able to pull off the knocks that they were without that knock from Amla. It was invaluable. It was indeed, Rory. I think you've articulated that quite beautifully. And we've got to talk about Tom Curran as well, haven't we? And the events that we witnessed at Wantage Road on day three this week. Came to the crease with Surrey 244 for six in the morning session. And he goes out and blasts a barnstorming 115 from 93 balls, 15 boundaries. He almost scored double the amount of fours that Hashim Amla did over the course of that entire innings and also smacked three sixes as well. 
He's made in first-class century, and if we are looking at the wider context of the title race, this was a pivotal knock, wasn't it, from Tom Curran? Well, absolutely. I mean, can you imagine your younger brother getting to a first-class ton before you? I'd be absolutely fuming. He's gone and almost kind of matched Sam's knock in a way. But when I say matched, they were obviously such different innings. That straight drive down the ground, lofted over the top. I'm sure you've seen it. Unbelievable. I've not seen the guy play Red Bull cricket for such a long time now, but he's just delivered fantastically. He looks so at ease with the bat. I think he's worked really hard on his batting in the last two years. And I mean, he's just blown him away. And Northants have. They're a really strong bowling lineup as well. And I think that current knock actually does a bit of disservice to how good that side is. But yeah, just, just simply too good. Well, he was. I think that's a very nice way of, of describing it, to be honest, Rory. Too good, too clinical. It was just a brilliant knock, wasn't it? And I'm very happy for Tom Curran. It was his first first-class game in four years, I believe. Last played for Surrey in 2018. So it was a long time coming. Took his chance, grabbed his opportunity with both hands and... Again, we could be looking back on this knock in a couple of weeks' time and going, yes, that may have just secured the title for Surrey County Cricket Club. But as a result of those respective innings and those respective knocks from the likes of Amler, the likes of Cam Steele and the likes of Tom Curran, Surrey ultimately finished on a total of 421 all-outs by the end of their second innings. Now, in response to this... Northampton got off to a relatively shaky start. It wasn't an awful start, but it was relatively shaky. They found themselves 114 for four within the first 34 overs of the innings. But then, a bit like in the first innings, someone just produced an innings of, of sheer individual brilliance that, Rory, we're going to talk about right now. Safe, safe. Of all the players to come out and produce that knock, 124 from 204 balls, 10 fours, two sixes. How impressive was that from Save Save this week? I mean, it's superb. I, no, this is another man I absolutely love. You can tell I've got a soft spot for North Ants. I absolutely love Save Save. When you bear in mind, he's, he's had a bit of a tough start to the season as well, but he was superb in the one-day cup. He was superb in the blast. It was always only a matter of time before he came into his own in the Red Bull format with the class the guy has. Some of his offside hitting is among the best I've seen, and he was just brilliant once again. And I genuinely, I really look forward to seeing this guy play more Red Bull cricket and score more Red Bull runs because as a number six, maybe, I think he's perfect for the role. He is indeed, and it's interesting, actually. We mentioned the slow start to the season. That's why I said it came as a little bit of a surprise in his first eight innings in the championship this season he just scored 101 runs so it was a very very slow start by his high standards but that 124 red ball cricket of the very highest caliber from safe save this week and ultimately it did kill the game it did kill the game north ants eventually finishing on a total of 426 all outs sorry we're never going to try and chase down the target of 345 and in the end things did end in a draw at Wantage Road this week. So, Rory, a fantastic, fantastic display of batting, in particular from both units this week. But before we move on to the Warwickshire-Somerset game, just one overarching question. As much as we've said these are vital points for Surrey, and they are, of course it is, they've still got that gap over Hampshire. If we're looking at the final couple of games of the season, Surrey have got Yorkshire at home, and then they've got Lancashire away. If you compare that to Hampshire, Hampshire have got Kent at home, and Warwickshire away. Both of those teams are vouching to try and survive in Division 1. If you had to choose one of these two teams to lift the county championship by the end of September, 
who would you back to do so? So I'm potentially going against the grain here. I think it's going to be Hampshire. Um, one of the things with Surrey and one of the things about Hampshire, Surrey at the Oval, the Oval's a lovely place to watch and play cricket, but it's a very good surface to bat on. And I suspect that in that Yorkshire game next week, or I hope so because I'm planning on being there, it will be a good surface to bat on. You've, you've seen it happen all time round, but Hampshire at the Aegeus Bowl is results pitch. And I'm fairly confident that Hampshire will have the edge over Kent in that fixture. They've just had a rest. I know Kent have as well, but that pace bowling attack should really, really fire. I know Abbott was potentially a little risky with injury. He'll be back in for next week. Hampshire should win that and then go on that last game against Warwickshire. You never know what you're going to get out of Warwickshire, do you? I don't know how much I'm allowed to be negative about Warwickshire on this podcast. I'm not sure if I'll be allowed back on. But I do think Hampshire will have the edge over Warwickshire. And the way that they play their cricket is very results-based. I think towards the back end of the season, that will favour a Surrey side. They're very strong with the bat, but have potentially struggled with the ball at points and are coming up against two sides. A Yorkshire side that will probably have Joe Root. We're hoping we'll have Joe Root. And then a Lancashire side that's been very impressive for the bat over the last few weeks. It's interesting times, isn't it, Rory? It really is. So you're going with Hampshire. That's interesting. I genuinely don't know where I'm going. I genuinely don't because I like both counties. I've got to be completely honest and early on I did say sorry, but when you look at the fixtures, I completely echo the sentiment about that Kent game for Hampshire. And they haven't lost at the Aegeus Bowl all season in the county championship. They haven't lost there across any format aside from the one day cup semi-final since the middle of June. So (laughs) that's going to be a massive game as is Surrey versus Yorkshire. So we'll have to wait and see. But the title race is well and truly open, as we shall discuss when we have a look at the table a little later on. But the opposite end of the table then, Rory, we do have to travel from the East Midlands to the West Midlands now. Let's go to my home county of Warwickshire, where the Bear and Ragged staff managed to salvage a draw against Somerset at Fortress Edgebaston. Now, to give some context of this game, Somerset won the toss and elected to have a bat first. A decision which appeared to have backfired quite spectacularly, didn't it, during the opening phases of play. The the visitors find themselves 82 for 7 at one point in the afternoon session. Rory, as a Somerset fan yourself, what did you make of that batting from Somerset before the likes of Lewis Gregory and Sajid Khan came in to, to rescue the situation? I uh, yeah, obviously we've seen it before as Somerset fans. It's it's the batting's been an issue for a few years now, and it just didn't quite deliver again. We've got a lot of really young guys in this middle order. James Rue, I thought was potentially a bit unlucky with an LBW call. Um, Imam obviously excellent last game, but Siraj was just bowling absolute rockets early on. He looked absolutely unplayable. I think the only dismissal I could really even argue with was that stumping from Burgess. I mean Lamanby, what was he doing coming down the track there? But Somerset have never historically been the best side at playing spin. So again, you kind of allow that as it may be. But you always know as a Somerset fan that when your hope's lost, the tail will come in and bail you out. And that is exactly what they did. They did indeed. And unfortunately for us as Warwickshire fans, yeah, from 82 for seven, Somerset ultimately ending up 219 all out, claiming a crucial batting bonus point as a result of some outstanding batting from Lewis Gregory who scored 60 from 97, and Sajid Khan batting at number 10 out of absolutely nowhere, chipping in with 53 not out from 64 balls, hitting nine boundaries over the course of his innings as well. 
But in terms of that first innings, Rory, there's only one man that I really want to focus on, and that is Mohamed Siraj. I couldn't believe it. I was there at the ground watching him bowl heat. He was bowling rockets at Hedgebaston this week. And to come in on your debut and take figures of 5 for 82, he was magnificent, wasn't he? I mean, particularly with Liam Norwell injured, he just it was absolutely vital what he's come on and do. And I thought he bowled absolutely superbly. I really did. I've not seen an overseas come in and immediately hit the spot and know exactly what the kind of requirement was for a while now. I think it's pretty tough changing conditions. But he came in, bowled superbly from ball one and genuinely massively deserved that five foot. If anything, I think his figures were made to be a bit unlucky by Sajid's hitting some boundaries at the end, but superb with the new ball. He was indeed, and it was a pleasure, a luxury and a privilege to watch him do his thing at Edgebaston this week. I must say, and also a shout out to another couple of Warwickshire bowlers, Giant Yadab, also on debut, taking a wicket, that of Tom Lammerby, with his third delivery as a bear. And Henry Brooks, three for 26. Now, Henry's not had a great season, unfortunately, with the ball in hand, but that should give him great confidence heading into the final two games. So very, very happy for him as well. Now, in response to that 219 from the visitors, Warwickshire, unfortunately, got off to just as bad a start. Uh, 22 for three within the first 14 overs of the innings. And as you can imagine, I wasn't very happy at this point. Fortunately, we did have some resistance from the likes of Sam Hain, who we shall discuss in a lot more detail in due course. He chipped in with 67 from 166 and the captain Will Rhodes scoring 38 from 99 to put on a little bit of resistance for the home side but eventually yeah the Bears falling quite spectacularly on home soil this week collapsing from 95 for three to 196 all outs as a result of some brilliant bowling from the likes of Jack Brooks who took 440 and Josh Davey who took figures of two for 20. So Rory at this point in the game it was very much even Stevens, wasn't it? In particular, at the end of, of day two, game seemed to be in the balance. And then we go to day three. And this really was Somerset's day in more ways than one. First and foremost, Tom Lamanby digging in brilliantly. 40 from 158 balls. And this next player, as a Somerset fan, Rory, how important was the 87 from Tom Abel, the captain? He's had a tough season. He's not been in the greatest of form. Didn't score many runs against Gloucestershire last week. But that was a pivotal knock, wasn't it, from the Somerset skipper in the Midlands this week? Absolutely, mate. I think um, class always comes back in cricket. You know, you can be out of Nick, but he just looks fantastic. He batted really maturely. He hits a really nice ball as well. And I was so pleased to see him score runs after such a long time. Seems like one of the best blokes in cricket. And I think he has got a very high ceiling. I think his batting numbers are very much permeated by Taunton being fairly tough. And he came in when his team needed him with two early wickets and just looked totally at home at the crease. And I think that was probably the bedrock to what was ultimately the innings that killed the game or at least killed any chance of Warwickshire taking a win out of it. Well, maybe not. But It did take the sting out of the Warwickshire tail. I think that's how I'd describe it. I thought the two Toms batted very nicely in Birmingham this week. And another person who batted quite majestically, George Bartlett, 111 from 228 balls, nine fours, four sixes, his sixth career first-class century. He's quite an impressive figure, isn't he, George Bartley? He's only played 44 career first-class matches 
if I'm not mistaken. But again, the future looks quite good for Mr. Bartlett, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, I think there was quite a mixed reception, actually, when he seemed when he got his um, contract extended. I think he looks like a very promising bat who's just never quite made that big score. He kind of he, he's very good at getting his 20 and very good at kind of and getting himself out in ways that are potentially quite unlucky. I think he looks brilliant. And I think as a long term solution for that number five spot, he should be able to nail himself down now Hildreth retired and really make that position his own. And I think this week's only strengthened that. It has indeed, Rory, definitely. And I was very impressed, I must say, some of the shots that he was playing, in particular on the offside. Yeah, very aesthetically pleasing, to say the least, from Mr Bartlett in Birmingham this week. But as a result of those three very, very impressive knocks, Somerset ultimately reached a score of 340 for seven declared to give the Bears a target of 364 runs to chase down within just 80 overs. Now, before we get into the culmination of that run chase and... My thoughts on one particular Warwickshire player. Honest opinion now, Rory. At one point in this game, when Warwickshire were past the 200-run mark, and you've got Sam Hain, who we'll discuss in just a second, and Will Rhodes at the crease, were you a little bit worried as a Somerset fan that the visitors could potentially chuck this away? I was indeed. Sajid wasn't getting as much turn as I was expecting him to in the fourth innings wicket. And it almost looked like it had slowed down and got a bit lower, which is just great for people like Hayne and Rhodes. Hayne, obviously, probably the best list day bat who's not playing for England in the country. And Rhodes, who had an excellent go in the one-day cup, it felt like a one-day cup pitch. And that's exactly what they played it to. I was genuinely very concerned that we weren't going to be able to produce anything and that these guys were just going to keep kind of accumulating runs and make it easy for themselves. It's very Somerset to throw a game like that away. And very fortunately, Jack Brooks, as he always does, came back in and got the ball reversing a bit, as he as he has got the tendency to do, as he did in the first innings as well. But yeah, I was very concerned. Those are the two guys I didn't want at the crease at that moment. Well, as you rightfully said there, Rory, luckily for Somerset fans, Jack Brooks made sure that at least one of them wasn't at the crease for much longer, dismissing Will Rhodes for 44 from 60 balls and then also got Michael Burgess out for a golden duck and to be honest at that point Warwickshire with a pretty long tail yeah the the chances of victory would have been incredibly slim the Bears just shutting up shop and eventually seeing out this game for some valuable draw points but yeah Rory I've mentioned this guy so many times on the podcast and obviously I've got my piece to say about him in due course but Sam Hayne what are your thoughts on Sam Hayne potentially getting an England call-up? It's a slightly two-pronged answer this, because I think he's very capable of doing it. And if I were to be an England selector, he'd be in my plans for the one-day squad, taking a, taking a three and four role, probably battling it out with Dawid Milan to bat four. Maybe put Joe Root there as well. I don't mind. There's enough aggressive batters in the system for that to be allowed to work. However, with the current England setup, with Brendan McCullum kind of coaching things the way that he is, I don't think there's a space for Sam Hayden in that role because I think they've got that space down as being Joe Roots. So as much as I would love to see him there, I think England's kind of way forwards looks like it's going to be more aggressive and big shots rather than that steady accumulation. And I I sadly don't think we'll see Hayne given a go, which I think is a travesty, particularly given his list A numbers. His T20 numbers are quietly excellent as well. His first class numbers also extremely reasonable. I'd probably have him down as maybe next in the pecking order after Harry Brook. But I don't think it'll happen, ultimately, which is a shame. Oh, you look absolutely devastated. 
Well, I am, to be honest, Rory, but I've been devastated for the past four years. I've been running the Sam Hain for England campaign since 2019 now, and somehow, and it really is beyond belief that this guy has not represented England in any capacity whatsoever. And you did allude to the numbers. Let's just have a look at his numbers in the championship, just for argument's sake. He's the second leading run scorer in Division 1 this season. 1,073 runs at an average of 76.64. He scored 300s. He scored 650-plus scores. And he's in the form of his life. It's always excuse after excuse after excuse as to why he's not in an England shirt. First, it was his strike rate, so he improved his strike rate. Then it was his average, so he improved his average, has the highest listing average in the entirety of the game's history. Then it was a case of conversion rate, and yet he scored three massive centuries this season, second leading run scorer in the county championship. I cannot for the life of me work out how this guy is not in an England shirt. I just can't or at the very least in an England squad, okay? I'm, I'm sorry, I just cannot justify his exclusion whatsoever. And that isn't me talking as a Warwickshire fan. That's me talking as a cricket fan. He's the best uncapped player on the planet right now. Any other country, he's either playing or he's bare minimum in a squad. And the key thing with Sam Hain, he does this across formats. He's the Bears' all-time leading T20 blast run scorer. He's only been playing since 2014. He's done that in eight seasons. It's staggering. He's the Bears' all-time leading Royal London One Day Cup scorer. He's got the highest list average of all time. For the past two seasons, he's been Warwickshire's leading first-class run scorer. The guy's doing absolutely everything in his power to get that England call-up. And for some reason or the other, and I'd love to know the reason why, the selectors are not giving him the opportunity. So I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on fighting the good fight here with hashtag Sam Hain for England. And Warwickshire fans... I make this promise to you, Sam Hain will play for England one day. And the day that he does, I'm throwing a massive, massive celebration in his honour. It will be one of the greatest days of my life because there is nobody more deserving of that England spot than Samuel Robert Hain. The man is an absolute legend, to say the very least. But Rory, aside from my impassioned piece there on Samuel Robert Hain and his potential inclusion in an England squad, let's wrap up our conversation about Division 1, and let's have a look at the tables at the end of the 14th round. Now, at the top of the Division 1 table, we've got Surrey County Cricket Club on 225 points. In second, just eight points behind, a Hampshire on 217 points. In third, facing a six-point deduction, our Lancashire on 182 points. In fourth, our Essex on 178 points. In fifth and sixth, respectively, our Northamptonshire and Yorkshire on 147 and 132 points respectively. In seventh, our Somerset on 123 points. In eighth, our Kent on 115 points. In ninth, very much in the hunts for Division 1 survival, are the Bears of Warwickshire, also on 115 points. And then in 10th and final place in Division 1, our Gloucestershire County Cricket Club on 74 points. So yet another gripping, engrossing, fascinating round of county championship crickets and yeah at both the top of the table and the bottom the race is well and truly on so rory aside then from division one let's have a look at division two and talking of the title race there's not many better places to start this week than in london at the home of cricket where middlesex beat Glamorgan morgan by 10 wickets 
in a pivotal fixture at Lords. Now, Rory, I'm actually going to pass over to you for this particular game, seeing as you were there live in the flesh, witnessing all of this action unfold. First and foremost, what did you make of the game itself? How good of a game was this? Honestly, it was absolutely superb. Um, to my not well nowhere near to my credit it's my first day of county championship live this year at lords for day one middlesex bowl first and the first thing you're thinking is you know we've got lords it's a results pitch this is the day where they go for it there's a bit of rain around over the next few days and middlesex come out and immediately peg glamorgan back to nine to two two wickets in the opening two overs and glamorgan just kept attacking it was one of those really enthralling contests to watch where middlesex seemed like they're on top but instead of letting them be on top and instead of kind of absorbing the blows, Glamorgan were fighting back. And you really did feel like any kind of result could happen. I mean, when Chris Cook got to 50 in the first innings, I, if, as a, if I were to be Glamorgan fan, I was sitting next to a very passionate Glamorgan fan at the time. I'd have been quite hopeful, but Middlesex just too good with the bat. That knock from Mark Stoneman in the first innings set the tone for what I think was, in the end, a very comfortable victory for Middlesex and a massive push forwards for them to get to that promotion title. Well, not title, but that promotion spot in Division 2. It most certainly was, Rory, and yeah, we have to talk about that knock from Mark Stoneman. We really do 128 from 203 deliveries, 15 fours and a six. Just looked a million dollars at the crease this week, didn't he? And, and someone else who I'm absolutely elated for is John Simpson. 76 for the Middlesex keeper from 165 balls, including 10 boundaries. In terms of their particular partnership, which was a very hefty one, to say the least, I believe it was 134 for the fifth wicket. In your opinion, Rory, in terms of the batting fronts, was that the moment where this game did kind of sway ultimately in Middlesex's favour? See, I was a bit optimistic a bit before then. Actually, I thought uh, in that Glamorgan innings, because it finished so quickly, I did manage to catch plenty of that first part of the Middlesex innings, right up to Simpson's wicket. And it was towards the end of that Stephen Eskenazi innings, who is a man that I love more than any other man. He's absolutely superb. And I think he and Stoneman together helped take the, uh, take the game away quite significantly from Glamorgan, actually. They managed to take Michael Hogan, who was looking dangerous, out of the attack. And you had Ajaz Patel on bowling probably earlier than he would have liked to. Even when James Harris got those two wickets, Simpson came out, looked assured at the crease, and then from that moment on, it felt fairly comfortable. But I think even when they were 90 for two, 90 for two with 214, Stoneman looking a million dollars, it felt good. Well, in the end, it turned out to be rather good as well, didn't it, for the Saxes at the home of cricket this week, ultimately ending on 390 all out by the end of their first innings. Now, in response to this, Glamorgan got a flyer, didn't they? 123 for none within the first 30 overs. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, well, this game might just peter out into a draw. The likes of David Lloyd, he scored 70. Eddie Byram, the other opener, scoring 47. Those two looked incredibly composed at the crease. And you're thinking, right, these two probably going to stick around for a bit longer. Yes, Middlesex might take a wicket or two, but Glamorgan look as though they're well back in this game. And then Ethan Bamber took the wicket of David Lloyd. And then everything started collapsing violently for Glamorgan. In fact, from 123 for none, the Welsh outfits over the course of 44.5 overs lost every single wicket 
for the gain of just 97 runs, a collapse of 97 for nine, which completely changed the complex of this game. And the main man catalyzed that particular collapse this week was a certain Toby Roland Jones. Now, Rory, I want to give this guy an immense amount of plaudits. We all remember him playing for England in those tests in 2017, a wonderful time for English test cricket with Jimmy Anderson in that pink ball test at Edgbaston. But in terms of Toby Rowland-Jones as a seam bowler, he's been tremendously unlucky with injuries. We all know that. But he's currently the leading wicket taker in Division 2 this year with 55 wickets, an average of 19.81. And he did take 5 for 61 in that second inning. Do you think there's ever an opportunity for TRJ to get back into that test side? I think was it you I was chatting to about this. I really think there is. I really do. He's he's just he's genuinely class. I think he's absolutely brilliant and he's been brilliant for a few years now. He was brilliant when he got his opportunity when he actually was playing test cricket. Unfortunately hampered by injury and he's doing it again. If Middlesex do get that promotion to Div 1, I think that could be absolutely vital to TRJ's chances of getting another go for England. I worry that maybe he's too old now and the selects will be looking elsewhere. There's a lot of talent of those pace bowlers that are coming up. I mean, we mentioned Cook and Code earlier, both definitely ahead of him in the pecking order. I'd love to see it. Ultimately, again, my answer is I don't think it'll happen, but I would love to see him get at least one last go to prove that those test numbers that he's put up in the past are actually numbers that he could put up again. Well, it's funny you mention those test numbers because for those who aren't aware, they are quite staggering, aren't they? To be honest, four test matches, 17 wickets, averaging 19.64. Yes, it might have been five years ago, but I always say this in cricket, the door's never fully shut, is it? It's always slightly ajar, and if Toby Rowland-Jones could come back in some capacity, it'd be some comeback, wouldn't it? It'd probably rival that of, of Dinesh Karthik for India at the moment. So, wishing TRJ nothing but the best of luck, and ultimately, that 5 for 61 meant that Middlesex needed just 45 runs in their second innings to win this game. And they chased it down in 5.2 overs, a monumental victory for the home side in London this week. And in terms of, of Glamorgan, do you think they're done now? Because this is a massive loss, OK? They're still in the hunt in terms of points. But this was a must-win game, or at least a draw. A draw would have kept them above Middlesex. But they've been trounced, a 10-wicket dispatching at the home of cricket. And just looking at their remaining fixtures... They've got a very tough game against Derbyshire and then they finish against Sussex, whereas Middlesex have got Leicestershire next and then finish against Worcestershire. Do you think that Glamorgan can come back into that promotion push or do you think the Welsh outfit's chances are all but done now? I really don't think with these kinds of things it's ever truly done. We know the magic of the championship. They're only 12 points behind, which isn't a massive deficit. And they are quite good at producing results pitches as well, which is something I've mentioned before and I think is really significant when it comes to the end of the season. I was very impressed with Stubman Gill, despite the fact that he didn't get that many runs. He looks fluent. He looks composed. I think he's going to have a very good time of it out at Derby, who've got a potentially slightly weakened bowling attack at the moment. And I think anything can happen, genuinely. I think their pace bowling attack is also excellent. They're obviously missing Michael Neeser, but if we get some spinning pitches towards the back end, if they get lucky with what they get, they're definitely still in the race. Well, they are. And to be honest, I did just ask that question as a bit of devil's advocate, but I think they're still in the mix. I really do. Ajaz Patel did bowl quite nicely, taking three for 68 in this particular game. And James Harris, 
as well. I'm glad we get to mention James Harris this week. He also bowled very nicely on his way to taking five for 90 in that first inning. So it's not over yet, is it? As you said, if, if they do get a win next week against the Derbyshire side who don't have Shan Masood either, we mustn't forget that. It's still on. It really is. So oh, I don't know which way it's going to go. But one of these two sides will be promoted. Crazy to think, isn't it? By the end of this month, one of these two teams will finally be back in Division 1. And may the best team win. That's all I'll say. I'd like either side to be back in Division 1, to be honest. I think Middlesex have played some excellent cricket. They've had it very tough in Red Bull cricket since that relegation in 2017. And then Glamorgan. I mean, aside from the domestic players who have been very impressive, Sam Northeast, to name just one. They've also got Marnus. And he would be box office in Division 1 as well. So we'll have to wait and see. I still think it's wide open. But that is a bitter pill for Glamorgan's take. And obviously a huge boost for Middlesex heading into those final two games in Division 1 this year. But aside from that encounter at the home of cricket then, Rory, let's head down to Grace Road. Let's go to Leicester, where Durham beat Leicestershire by seven wickets at the Upton Steel County Ground. Now, in terms of this game, Durham won the toss and opted to have a bowl first, a decision which proved to be rather fruitful during the opening exchanges, as Matt Potts took a quite magnificent 6 for 52 from just 19 overs to skittle the Foxes for 202 runs by the end of their first innings. And Rory, I've already mentioned him, Matt Potts, right? The second leading wicket-taker in Division 2 this year. He's played eight matches. He has taken 49 wickets at an average of 17.26. This guy's remarkable, isn't he? Genuinely superb. And he does it He does it week in, week out. I, th- I think he's gone away over the off-season and just turned himself into an absolute juggernaut of a pace bowler. I don't know whether it was his time in Lahore. Lahore's very, very good for pace bowlers. He'll have been learning under people like Shaheen, like Harris Ralph. He's definitely up to his pace, but he's up to his consistency as well. And I think he's far too good for Div 2. And I think it's actually almost a shame that he hasn't been getting a go in these recent test matches this summer for England against South Africa, because he is that good a player. I mean, over three wickets and innings is just remarkable. It is. It's ludicrous, isn't it? To be completely honest. And again, he, he did produce the goods in that second innings, as we'll get on to in just a moment. But in response to this, Durham themselves got an absolute flyer. It was almost a, a Jekyll and Hyde scenario at Grace Road this week, as Michael Jones, who I've got an awful lot of time for, stormed his way to a blistering 97 from just 157 balls to take the visitors up to 161 for one within the first 47 overs of their innings. But after the Scottish opener fell to the bowling of the ever-reliable Callum Parkinson, again, a very underrated spin bowler, in my opinion, at the end of the very next over, everything started to collapse. And this is the beauty of the county championship. From 161 for two, Durham ultimately ended up being bowled out for 296 runs by the end of the 91st over. And at this point, you're thinking, maybe Leicestershire fans, we've got a chance here. Okay, it's a hefty deficit, 94 runs, but you're not out of the game. Unfortunately for the home side, though, Matt Potts, yeah, kind of took that personally, didn't he, Rory? He had other ideas in the East Midlands this week. Taking a six for in the first innings wasn't enough for Matt Potts as he bested that and took seven for 49 in the second. 
from 19.5 overs, finishing the match with career best figures of 13 for 101. There's not much more I can add. Matt Potts, he is a phenom. He's also a very hard worker, very hard trainer. I think Scott Borthwick mentioned that in an interview. He's the hardest worker he's ever seen in the gym. The sky really is the limit for this guy, and he was far too good for the Foxes of Leicestershire in this particular game. And as a result of that, Durham needed just 105 runs to secure the victory on day four. Michael Jones scoring 50, Nick Maddinson scoring 31 out, and David Beddingham scoring 19 not out from just nine balls to take the Northeastern County to a convincing seven-wicket victory within just 24 overs of their second innings. So a pretty, pretty dominant performance, as we said, from Durham this week in what's been a very disappointing season, Rory. Overall, what have you made of this county championship campaign for Durham? At times, they've shown a lot of promise. Matt Potts, as we mentioned, has been quite sensational. But overall, would you say it's been quite a disappointing campaign for the Northeastern County? I think I'd have to, yeah. I think I put down some predictions at the start of the year and had them down as actually that second spot that we're going to go up alongside Nottinghamshire. So they've really fallen short of what I thought they were capable of. They've slightly struggled, I think, with those ch that change of balls that happened, particularly at the start of the season. It was tougher for Rain, for Rushworth to get going. And they very much relied early on on Matt Potts. Now, those two have obviously come back and they've, they've played some pretty good cricket. The batting's just slightly struggled as well. I think they've been unfortunate with injuries. Sean Dixon got injured when he was at really the peak of his form and has slightly struggled since. David Beddingham not hitting the heights that he did last year. And they're just not really managing to get that same side out each week and that same side performing. So ultimately, I think it's going to end up being quite a transitional year for them. They've started giving people like Tom McIntosh, who I've got a lot of time for, particularly as a keeper. Give him a go. Ollie Gibson a go. He's struggled but actually he is a fantastic bowler he's been excellent in Northumberland cricket for some time and I think they've been a bit unlucky with their overseas as well so I think there's a lot of positives to take despite the fact that they've not had the season they'd have wanted to. Well there are and you can always take positives away from seasons like these I mean it is disappointing I'm going to be honest I am a bit underwhelmed with with Durham's performances so far this summer I just wanted them to get promoted I really did. I looked at that seam attack in particular with the likes of Potts, Cass, the likes of Rushworth, Rain, even Liam Travaskis as the spin bowl. I got a lot of time for Liam. I thought yeah. they would have been a very potent Division One outfit, but unfortunately things just have not worked for the Northeastern side in this year's county championship. And as for Leicestershire, Rory, yeah, again, another really poor campaign for the Foxes. I've asked this to Matt quite often here on the podcast, but where do you think things have gone wrong for Leicestershire in this year's championship? I think they panic. Um, I, I think they're not a bad outfit at all. I think they've got a very good talent acquisition. I really like Kimber. I think the pickup of Budinger this week was fantastic. I do apologise if I pronounced that incorrectly. Budinger. Budinger, that's the one. I thought Tom Scriven was an excellent pickup. Rehan Ahmed speaks for himself. I do just think they panic. They lost a couple of games and they started producing these pitches that were just so incredibly flat. It almost felt like they were just trying to make sure they weren't losing games and they weren't as focused on winning them, perhaps. I think they've obviously struggled with the ball. As, as it stands, none of their bowlers, barring Scott Steele, who's bowled 6.4 overs this campaign, is averaging the right side of 35, which I think is partly a product of the pitches, partly a product that maybe they need to change things up. Chris Wright's been a fantastic servant for years. He's bowled fine. You mentioned Cal Parkinson. 
I think he's brilliant, but he's had a tough year with the ball, hasn't he? And then you've got these players that they're relying on, and if they don't deliver, they struggle, and they rotate around these core players. So maybe next year it might require giving someone like maybe Kimber as a perfect opportunity, a chance to just go out and maybe going a bit more developmental with their team and just seeing which of the kind of risks that they take end up going positively and working from there. I would agree with that, Rory, but I suppose if I'm coming at this from a Leicestershire fan's perspective, they've had that for the past few years, haven't they? And when we are looking at the bigger picture, in 2020, you looked at them and you thought, right, there is a bit of a a project here. We said it a lot here on the podcast, and again, I've got a lot of time for Leicestershire and the project that they're trying to develop at Grace Road. But the problem is they are losing players at the same time. I saw Ben Mike, for example, being an integral part, an integral pillar of the of the new Leicestershire and now he's gone to Yorkshire so it's really difficult I think the Foxes find themselves in a very tough position because you can't keep on being a transition team at some point that transition has got to stop in particular when you are having your best players taken by other counties now I love the acquisition of Saul Budinger and he looks very good on debut scoring 64 I like the likes of a VR Mulder. I thought he was a very shrewd piece of overseas business. But I think you hit the nail on the head there when it comes to the bowling department. Yet again, and I've said this ever since starting the Cows Cricket podcast, Leicestershire rely far too heavily on Chris Wrights and Callum Parkinson. And that's the exact same thing this year. You know, looking at the averages, looking at the, the wickets column, Chris Wright's taken 26 wickets. He's their leading wicket taker. If you compare that to Durham, for example, Matt Potts has got 49 wickets. Callum Parkinson, he has had a rough season. He's also taken 24 wickets. And then the third leading wicket taker is Ed Barnes with 19 wickets. So they haven't taken enough wickets. They've had a lot of collapses. And as I said, I do think they over-rely on certain players. They've got some very talented cricketers, have Leicestershire. But it's just a case of putting it all together and gelling as one unit and... Yeah, producing some some quality Red Bull performances. It just hasn't come to fruition in 2022. There's one more point you can add to that as well, actually, which is one of their overseas players, Buren Hendricks, bowling average of 140.75 for the season, played six games and took four wickets. That ultimately is challenging as well, because the overseas players we see in the county championship are always top draw, right? We've seen some great performances. We talked earlier about how well Siraj hit the ground running. Hendricks didn't, and that was partly tough as well. I think that's a very valid point as well, Rory, but that could come down to the pitches at Grace Road. They have been very flat, and yeah, it's just been a very rough season. I feel bad for the Foxes, I feel bad for the fans as well. It's just not gone right at all, has it? And... Talking of another side, which, again, unfortunately haven't had a great season in Red Bull cricket, but they did salvage some pride on home soil this week. Let's head down to Hove, where Sussex played out a draw with Worcestershire at the first central county ground. Now, Sussex won the toss and elected to have a bat first in this game, which appeared to have backfired stunningly, didn't it? 23 for 5 within the opening 15 overs of the game. Now, I saw that edge bastard and I was wondering what on earth went on. I really was. I was questioning everything. And you realise it was down to some very good bowling from the likes of Joe Leach and Dylan Pennington and Ben Gibbon. But from that woeful start, Sussex did start to get back into this game quite nicely, didn't they, Rory? With the likes of Finn Hudson-Prentice, he scored 51. James Coles, the England under-19 international, scored 54. And Jack Carson, 
on his first game back after a long injury layoff, scoring 58 to ultimately take the Martlets up to a somewhat competitive first innings total of 220 all out. In response to this, though, Worcestershire got off to a simply barnstorming start. And this is where my first conversation topic will come up, Mr. Law. Ed Pollock and Jake Libby. 195-run opening partnership. Pollock scoring 98. And Jake Libby scoring a colossal career-best 215 from 294 balls, which included 25 fours and even a six, just for good measure. In terms of those two, what do you make of them as an opening partnership? It is the classic combination of fire and ice, isn't it? With Ed Pollock's intensity, his destructive nature, and Jake Libby's coolness and calmness whilst occupying the crease. Well, absolutely. And they're, they're both players who've been very opposite in terms of their career paths as well, I've found. Libby's been very consistent over the last few years. Hasn't had the year he's wanted to have this year, but we know what he's capable of at quite a lot of points over you know, any Red Bull season. You know he's capable of scoring runs. Pollock simply has had a wretched season. There's no way of going about it. He struggled big time and it's nice to see him score runs. He's capable of coming off with those really fast starts and him and Libby, when they come together and score runs, will be so difficult to stop because how do you set a field for that? It's a great point. That is a very good point, especially to Pollock. Although sometimes with that that destructive element that he does possess, it does sometimes cause his downfall, doesn't it? As we have seen on, on some occasions this season. But I thought that was a brilliant opening partnership it did kind of kill the game in some ways because 195, they trailed by just 25 runs with all 10 wickets still intact. So I thought that was quite brilliant from Worcestershire this week. And yeah, the pairs ultimately finishing on a commanding total of 438 for five declared by the end of their first innings. Now, as a result of this, Sussex heading into day four didn't really have a chance of victory, but Worcestershire certainly did. And in the opening exchanges, they did very well. They had Sussex 88 for three within the first 25 overs of their second innings. But cometh the hour, cometh the man, a former guest here on the Counter Cricket Podcast who's had a very good season across formats for Sussex, a certain Tom Alsop. Rory, a few words on this guy. He came in as a replacement for club veteran Ben Brown, who made the switch to the South Coast with Hampshire. How impressive was not only this innings, but Tom Allsop's debut season with the Martlets? I mean, it's it's fantastic to see Allsop scoring runs. He was obviously very capable at Hampshire, didn't quite get the opportunities that he perhaps deserved, obviously not the easiest place to bat as well. He's come and joined Sussex. He's averaging over 50 for the season. Well, at 50.83, he scored 915 runs and scored four centuries, which is a really, really good output for someone in their debut season, batting in conditions that are of the most nature unfamiliar. He's looked fantastic. He looks really good at the crease, even while they were batting what realistically was for a draw. He was scoring runs and looking at ease scoring them as well. He's really, really good off his legs. I have a lot of time for Tom Allsop. I think Sussex are, are the kind of team that really, really needs someone like that to just stick there for a few years, consistently accumulate runs, and then kind of work some of their young players around more and more. Yeah, fantastic debut season. Really can't fault it at all. Neither can I, to be honest, Rory. Yeah, he's been very impressive and I'm delighted for him. And someone else again in that Sussex mix, this time someone who's come up through the academy, Ollie Carter, another young, enterprising wicketkeeper batter, 
scoring a gritty 55 in that second innings, as Sussex ultimately reached a total of 312 for six and did see out the draw in this particular game. So impressive grit, fortitude, metal and fight shown by the Martlets in this particular game. But before we look at the table, just one final question to look at, in particular looking at Worcestershire. I just wanted to ask about their bowlers this season, if I may, Rory. Because in the Championship review shows last year, I was very critical of Worcestershire's seam attack in particular because you looked at their averages, they were in the high 30s, few of them averaging over 50. But if we're looking at them so far in this year's Championship, Joe Leach has taken 34 wickets at 22.55. Dylan Pennington has taken 36 wickets at 23.75. The likes of Charlie Morris has chipped in with 21 wickets at 30.57. Is this something which Worcestershire can use as a springboard heading into the future? They've certainly impressed and definitely improved in this department, haven't they, in this year's championship? Well, yeah, absolutely. Massively. And you've got those two, particularly Leach and Pennington, who are there. They're there for the long term. Leach goes about his business. You know how capable Joe Leach is. Everyone who follows county cricket knows how capable Joe Leach is. But there are other players who've shown some glimpses of promise as well. You've got Ben Gibbon in his debut season. He's been very reasonable. Josh Tung struggled a bit with injury, but I think when he is on form, he's destructive. He bowls so quickly. And if you have that combination of Leach and Pennington, who are very good swing bowlers, Leach is able to get the ball to nibble around, and then some express pace from Josh Tung, it'll, it'll actually remind me a bit of that Durham attack of last year when you had Rain and Rushworth and Bryden Cass kind of putting a bit more pace on the ball. I think there's a lot of merit in that. So I think what Worcestershire in that department, only looking up, but again, you are relying on this, or you're relying really on Joe Leach to keep his form, in my opinion. I think he's very, very crucial and will continue to be so for a few years while they develop their other players. 100% Rory. Couldn't agree with that anymore, to be honest. And yeah, the signs are looking promising for Worcestershire, which is good to see. I mean, they're not going to get promoted, unfortunately, but definitely some positives to take with them heading into the course of the 2023 season next year. But we're not in 2023 just yet. Of course, we do have to look at the tables at the end of the 14th round in the 2022 County Championship. And currently at the top of Division 2 are Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club on 215 points. In second place are Middlesex on 188 points. In third are Glamorgan on 176 points. In fourth are Derbyshire on 169 points. In 5th are Worcestershire on 160 points. In 6th are Durham on 158 points. In 7th place are Sussex on 115 points. And in 8th and bottom place are Leicestershire County Cricket Club on 79 points. So an interesting dynamic in particular with that promotion charge. It's going to be a very interesting conclusion to Division 2 to say the very least. And we'll be here to cover both of those rounds at the County Cricket Podcast as the 2022 County Championship does wind to a thrilling conclusion. But Rory, before we end today's podcast, we don't just have County Championship action this week. We do, of course, have the Royal London One Day Cup. Saturday, the 17th of September at Trent Bridge, Kent versus Lancashire. You've got the Red Rose, who have been outstanding in this year's competition. And then you've got the Kent Spitfires, galvanised by the GOAT himself, a certain Darren Stevens. Before we end the episode, a couple of predictions. First and foremost, who do you think is going to win? 
I'd, I'd get in great trouble for not saying Lancashire from various family members, but I am going to say them on merit as well. They're, they're, they've said that they're willing to pick the strongest side that they can put out, which does obviously, as much as I do think might be a bit of a shame, it does give them a bit more of an edge. But that batting lineup's really hard to argue with. I mean, Luke Wells, the form he's been in recently, that 65-ball ton against Yorkshire, suddenly looking like it could be quite good preparation for this final. And they're going to be a really tough side to break down. And the thing with Lancashire, they never give up, do they? You've got Balderson, Danny Lamb down the order, who are both capable of some fantastic knocks. And yeah, I think it's going to be tough for them to break down and maybe might need another individual performance from the greatest of all time, from Darren Stevens, to bring them down. Well, it's funny you mentioned Darren Stevens because this is his final list day game in a Kent shirt and... I will be there, I said I would be, and I shall be Kent fans to witness the Goats in action for one more time. I just don't see Kent losing. I really don't. And it's funny you mention about the the selection processes of both teams. Kent, of course, are not allowing players who appeared in the 100 to play in the final. And they've played it as a unit. They've got that shared connection. They've been through the same hardships and the same triumphs, I suppose. So I'm going to go with the Kent Spitfires. And there is nothing more that I would love than to see Darren Stevens, after an outstanding career with Kent County Cricket Club, lift the Royal London One Day Cup for the very last time at Trent Bridge on Saturday. So I'm going to go with Kent's. That's my prediction for the winner. And one final prediction, Rory, player of the final. Who do you think it'll be? Oh, that's a big one. I've been throwing, yeah. that's, that's a really deep end question. I know. Um, there's a few options here. I've got a lot of time as a bat and as a wicketkeeper for Ollie Robinson. I think he's brilliant. I think he's capable of a lot more than he's shown us, and he's shown us a lot. I've got a lot of time for Steve-O as well. Obviously, how fitting would it be? The man's averaging over 100 with the bat this season, striking it better than 130. So it is possible. But on the theme of that Lancashire win that I've, that I've said, maybe as a slightly left-field choice, but because I think there's so much strength down the order... I'm going to mention a man we've not really mentioned yet, or have mentioned very briefly, Danny Lamb. Danny Lamb is averaging 40 with the bat this campaign, striking at 125, batting eight, and has taken 13 wickets in eight games. And he's a very good death bowler, he's a very good fielder, and he comes across as a cricketer who works very hard. So I'm going to say Danny Lamb, but, you know, if, if Kent end up winning, I want to shout out to Ollie Robinson, because I think he's brilliant. So do I. And he would be an honourable mention for me in terms of that player of the match. But for some reason, I've just got this weird inclination. I really do. I can just see Alex Blake hitting either the winning runs or just some big runs in some capacity, in particular at Trent Bridge, because he loves pace on the ball, Alex Blake. And he's shown that in this year's Royal London One Day Cup. He didn't have a great time of it in the semi-final. I just, I just, for some reason or another, I see him scoring big runs. I really do, and there's nothing more that I'd love, to be honest. Alex Blake and Darren Stevens taking Kent to victory. That would be quite the, the situation for Kent to, to find themselves in, really. So I'm going to go with Alex Blake. So we've got Alex Blake and Danny Lamb. Some interesting choices from the pair of us. We could have gone with the more obvious options, but anything can happen in a final. We saw that last year, didn't we? We really did with uh, Kieran Carlson and Glamorgan. So we'll have to wait and see. All that's left for me to say, though, is may the best team win. And yeah, if you are going on Saturday, you're in for an absolute treat. I think that's going to be a fantastic way to end what's been a very engrossing one-day cup in 2022. But Rory, 
That does bring us to an end to today's episode of the County Cricket Podcast. Before we say our final goodbyes for the episode, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any, you know, social media channels, websites, anything like that? Not at all. All I'll say is that I work quite a lot with the Cricket Draft. They've done a fantastic job this year. If you're not playing their games, get involved next year. The County Championship one's fantastic. They're planning to a Royal London One Day Cup one as well, I believe, which they haven't had in the pipeline this year. And they will obviously do the blast as well. So as County Cricket fans, it's a great thing to do. Do a lot of work with them and they do a fantastic job of doing that for the community. So that's all I'll say. Nothing personal. Well, a fantastic thing to promote at the end of this particular episode. We have a lot of time for the Cricket Draft boys. We really do. And of course, you can find the link to our league in the podcast description below. I'm not doing too bad, to be fair. I think I'm in the top 15 in the TCCP league. So, yeah, it's been going all right for for Darren Stevens for England CC in 2022. But again, I'll just echo that sentiment. We both do work for the Cricket Draft, don't we, Rory? Fantastic lads. And yeah, definitely a fantastic idea. If you aren't already involved, have a look at it in 2023. Very enjoyable, to say the least. But that's it from us two here at the Council Cricket Podcast for tonight's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.